0: Uh, We have been, uh, the retreat was actually part of this uh, this season of discipleship that we're in as Blue Water Mission as part of that as well. We're doing this sermon series uh, on discipleship. We've examined uh, what it is. If you've been hanging around uh, the body of Christ at all, if you've been hanging around Jesus at all, you've probably heard that word discipleship, uh, which we have defined uh, practically as effortful growth. If you are a disciple of Jesus, it's going to require effort and it will require growth if you're not putting in an effort and if you're not seeing growth in your life and through your life uh, to other people, uh, then you are not being an effective disciple. And, uh, and you need to examine that and, uh, and get into the flow uh, a little bit better. When Jesus encountered people who really didn't understand discipleship, who really, you know, weren't in it, uh, His response typically was to try to convince them that it was worth it that it was worth it, sort of to paint a vision of how worth it it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we've talked about uh, some of the ways that it's worth it. Uh, One, you know, you get eternal life, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, You get a purposeful life. uh, You get resources that you need. Uh, It is worth it. If you've missed any of those sermons, you can go back and check them out uh, online. What is discipleship? How do you do it? How do you do discipleship? Well, that actually was the topic of our all-church retreat. We examine, for instance, a passage of Scripture in John 15. Uh, Probably Jesus' most holistic and and famous teaching on discipleship. He talks about uh, He is the vine, we are the branches. Our job is to abide in Him, or some translations will say remain in Him, which He goes on to define in the passage in terms of obedience, if we are obedient to his commands, then we're remaining in him. And if we are remaining slash obedience, then we will produce fruit. Uh, and then he says some very intimidating things. He says, if a branch does not bear fruit, it gets cut off. He ceases to pay it attention. Uh, it gets, gets eliminated. It gets cut off of the branch. Uh, which, is, which is a little bit uh, sobering. If you are producing fruit, uh, then you get pruned, uh, which means he pays a lot of attention to your life, and you know he, he cuts off this and that if it's distracting. Uh, pruning is a process by which gardeners create space on a branch for the production of more fruit, uh, which is what we are after. Uh, Producing fruit ultimately, Jesus makes clear, ultimately involves making new disciples. So it's not enough just to grow as an individual. When you grow as an individual, you have to produce growth in others. You have to be a blessing to others. You have to create discipleship in the lives of other individuals, or you have to make new disciples. Uh, And really, this is the theme that Jesus hits on all points of his ministry. When he first invites the famous 12 disciples to be disciples, he doesn't just say, believe in me or follow me. He says, follow me and dot, dot, dot. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of people. In other words, you're going to be my disciple, which means you will be changing other people. You have a job. You have a purpose to do. Uh, And then at the end of his ministry, at the end of the Gospels, Matthew 28, for example, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnic groups. Or in Mark, it says, go and make disciples of all creation. Now fulfill your purpose, fulfill your job, bear fruit. Uh, Fruit is, uh, is reproductive. Fruit is how a plant reproduces itself. Produce reproduction in the world. Make new disciples. Uh, And so now that the retreat is over, we've examined uh, why you should be a disciple. We've examined some ways in which you go about being a disciple, uh, being obedient, doing those personal disciplines that help you to be obedient in life. And now we're going to really focus for uh, several weeks on how to make disciples, which ultimately is our purpose as disciples of Jesus, at least uh, for as long as uh, we're in this earthly life that is a, a, a compelling purpose that we all share. So here's the big idea for the day, and it has to do with being an effective disciple maker. Big idea. One huge key, one huge key to being an effective disciple maker is to find people who are responsive. It's to find responsive people and, conversely, not to give a lot of time to people who are not responsive. There you go. One huge key to being an effective disciple maker is to find people who are responsive to your efforts and to not give a lot of time to people who are not responsive to your efforts. Now, that sounds pretty simple, right? But I think it is a very powerful concept so did Jesus. He actually spent uh, quite a bit of time teaching uh, about it. Let's go to our scripture for the day, which is in Matthew chapter 10. We're just going to look at verses 5 through 20, although the whole chapter is pretty much on this theme. So what Matthew 10 is about, um, it's about Jesus sending out his disciples for the first time without him. Uh, He does this in uh, a few of the Gospels, in Matthew 10 and Mark 6 and Luke 10, it's, we get the same story. So this was a very important moment in the lives of these guys um, because they all uh, share the account of it. It goes like this. These 12, the famous 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. So here are his commands to which they need to be obedient. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So you're just going to your homies. This is a limited limited missionary journey. You're just going to your fellow Jews. As you go, proclaim this message, this precise message. The kingdom of heaven has come near which was really, really good news. God is not distant and angry. Actually, the order of God is present among us. It's accessible. He's accessible. This is fabulous. This is a revolution. God is with us. Jesus, of course, was the personification of that. Powerful message. Proclaim the kingdom. Proclaim the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom of God. This says elsewhere in Matthew. Then... Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. So in other words, proclaim that the kingdom of God is with us and show that the kingdom of God is with us. Uh, uh, a little while ago, we, we uh, examined Jesus introducing himself uh, to the world, the beginning of his ministry. And he says, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news, freedom to the oppressed, freedom to the captive, sight for the blind. In other words, the order of heaven is on earth and we get to restore things according to the order of heaven. Is there any demonic oppression in heaven? No. So we get to cast out demons. Is there any sickness in heaven? No. So we get to cure sick people. Uh, is there any oppression, any, any poverty in heaven? No. So we get to proclaim and to do and to enact justice. We get to preach the kingdom and we get to do the kingdom. So there... Uh, and then he drills down a little bit. He gets down into the nitty-gritty. He says, Do not do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. Go out into the world with nothing but the clothes on your back. For the worker is worth his keep, which is a potent phrase. In other words, you guys are doing a job. You're hired. You'll get paid if you do it well. <laughs> Uh, So don't worry about that. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Some translations will say like a suitable person or something like that, but I like the word worthy. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. (laughs) That's just great instruction. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet on your way out. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Well, that's comforting. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes or as clever, as strategic as snakes, and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of the Father speaking through you. Okay, let's review. Let's just kind of go through that. Jesus is sending these guys out for the first time. This is the the pilot project. This is the maiden voyage. This is the prototype. And he says, uh, go out there and proclaim the specific message, the good news of the kingdom of God, kingdom, king's dominion, king's control, the good news of the order of heaven on earth. We are essentially proclaiming to the world, hey guys, This is the way it is with God. This is how it is. Uh, With God, he's present, and he restores. Uh, That's a great message. And then we demonstrate uh, the way that it is. Um, We could talk a long time about that, and in many sermons have. Uh, so I'm just going to brush by that and go on to the second bit of instructions. He says, don't take any gold or silver or copper or clothes or don't take a lunch or a staff. Just kind of go. Just kind of go. Uh, two things that makes me think. Uh, number one, it really puts faith front and center, doesn't it? Right? Go out, go out naked. And, you know, this, this was not you, – you couldn't call uh, for help if you got stuck out and metaphorically naked. Although there are some Old Testament passages about naked prophets. Just to clarify, not a blue water. This being blue water, I feel like I, I need to say that. Um, it, it, it really required that these guys live and work by faith. And it's very much like Jesus to say look, the, the fuel of the kingdom of God is faith. Uh, whatever you accomplished, Uh, if it's worth accomplishing, you will have done it by faith and not by any other means. So just to make that clear, I'm sending you out without so much as two nickels to rub together. Uh, Go out there and, uh, and do a bunch of miracles. Again, faith. And if you fail to do the miracles, the villagers probably won't give you anything to eat and you'll die. Good luck. Obviously, faith required, and Jesus just puts that front and center lest they be confused about it. But the other part I realize about this instruction is that they kind of imply legitimacy. You know, go out there without anything. You're going to be completely um, vulnerable in the world. You know, sheep among wolves. But then he adds this great phrase, the worker is worth his keep. In other words... Um, you're important, and therefore, you can expect to get paid. You can expect uh, respect and honor as you do this and resourcing. A little later, he says, you can also expect a lot of persecution and rejection, but you need to be clear in your own mind how big a deal you are. And, I don't know, that would be worth putting in your notes if you're worried about being an effective disciple-maker. You have to be clear in your own mind about how legitimate you are. Jesus says in John 15, those of you who are at the retreat will remember, I have chosen you. God has appointed you to this mission. So don't think you're not going to get paid. You know, you don't need to fret. Uh, you You don't need to worry. And, and then, you know, think about that attitude, right? It's not, it's not an arrogant attitude. How could you feel arrogant when you were metaphorically naked in the world? How could you feel arrogant as a sheep among a pack of wolves? You wouldn't feel arrogant, but you can feel important. And, and Jesus stays on that theme a little bit. He says, when you go to the village, you don't know anyone Uh, Find some worthy person and stay at their house. I like that. You know, guys, you're going to go out there, you know, you're going to have no food, no money, no traveling arrangements, no extra clothes, nothing, but don't stay with just anyone. Find a worthy person uh, to stay with. Doesn't that just speak volumes about the attitude that we're supposed to have? We're all that. We're all that. We're never going to feel arrogant about it because we're living by faith, but we're important. This is an important mission. And those of us who do it are important. So find a worthy person, for heaven's sake. Not just anyone. Find the right person. There's this presumption that the right person will exist to help you out. Um, Go like someone who should be welcomed. Go like someone who should be supported. Uh, This attitude of anointing, this attitude of being appointed. Uh, Later, uh, a little later in in Matthew 10, some verses that we did not reproduce on the program, uh, Jesus says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, i.e. Father God whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will not lose their reward. So it's telling them, look, when you show up in a village and you ask for accommodation, you might not have any money to pay the person to put you up, but but be assured of this that person will be rewarded by God Himself for any kindness that they show to you. We're important. It's an important mission. Have I stressed that enough? Am I harping on this just a little too much? Everybody get it? Uh, and then He gives this, uh, when you, and then when you enter that house, give peace to it. Give peace to it. And if the house doesn't accept your peace, just take your peace back, which is, which is a wonderful way to think of it. I just love the image you know, when you go in the house, you say, peace to this house. And they're, and they're like, you know, forget that. We don't want you here. Then you just take the peace back. In other words, just be chill about it. Don't let it bother you. Don't let it bother you. I know we're all like that, right? When people treat you rudely, when they reject you, when you offer something that you've sacrificed for and, and they don't want it, you're totally chill, right? It doesn't rattle you at all, does It, it doesn't rattle you at all. Jesus is just kind of explaining how it should work. And then he says, maybe my favorite part of these secondary instructions, he says, look, ultimately, if they don't listen to you, stay there. Let them see the goodness of your life. Try to start a small group. Build a church. Dig a well. No, he says, leave town leave town. If they don't want what you offer, leave. And leave in no uncertain terms. Shake the dust off your feet when you go. There's a certain finality about it. Shaking the dust off your feet. That's what Jews of the day would do whenever they were forced to walk in foreign territory, like if they had to take a trip through Samaritan territory. When they left Samaria and got back to Israel, they would symbolically shake the dust off their feet to say, oh, that's such a toxic place. I don't want to be there. There was sort of a, you know, a, a definite finality to it. Uh, and so Jesus is just sort of picking up on that cultural practice. Look, don't, don't waste your time. If they reject you, just leave. Just leave. Uh, someone else can come and try again later. Don't waste your time. Leave town and move on. Move on. This is the fine art of moving on, which, which sounds like a great judgment against the village. Indeed, you know, it kind of is. Jesus says it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for people who reject the gospel that, that you carry. You know, it's like you are a very important person carrying a very important message, and if they reject that message, well, it's the heart of everything. Do you think it's going to go well for them? No it's not. Uh, and so you need to be clear about that. Um, but I think, the, I think the moving on thing and the shaking the dust off the feet also has something to do with protecting the faith of the apostles. Uh, because rejection and, and, and being disrespected by people a lot, that will wear you down. That will suck the life right out of you. And, and you can't mess with that. You can't mess with that sort of toxicity. And so move on. Move on. Keep going. Don't squander uh, the faith that you have. I mean, you're doing such a great job. You're preaching this message. You're living on faith. You don't have any resources. Don't let yourself get beaten up by someone who disses you. It's just not worth your time. And then he Fills that fills that out a little bit more. Characterizes it by giving us this image of sheep uh, among wolves. In other words, you know you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable, so, you know you're important and you're all that. But but understand that you're also vulnerable people. And don't let the wolves tear up your guts. All right? Don't don't do that. You have to. You have a mission to to fulfill, and therefore, you know, be, be righteous, says doves, be innocent, be pure and heavenly, you know, flying through the air, but also be clever like a snake. Understand that you're vulnerable and live accordingly. You're only human, even though you're incredibly supernatural. Everybody get what he's saying? You have to understand, don't let yourself get beat up endlessly and think that that is fulfilling your mission. I like that. Uh, someone who gets beat up a lot. I don't like to get beat up endlessly. And I am a vulnerable person. I'm a sheep in a, in a world of wolves. And so I just need to be smart. I need to be clever about that. If, you've, if you're getting it, uh, shout amen or something. Does that make sense to you? You know, it occurs to me as I read this passage, and and really it's one of the, you know, it's one of the main, it's one of the canonical passages about going out and fulfilling our mission in the world. As I read it, it strikes me that there's an awful lot in it about failure. Kind of leaps out at you, uh, doesn't it? Like, you know, you know, go out there. You got the, you got the gospel message. You got the kingdom. You're sent by God himself. You're going to do incredible miracles now when it doesn't work you know, all of these things. When they reject your peace, don't let it bother you. Uh, When they start beating you up, just leave time. Just like all these provisions. They'll drag you in front of authorities. They'll arrest you. And of course, a lot of these guys were killed uh, for preaching the gospel. Be cool. It's going to be fine. There's a lot in it about failure and, and difficulty, and I'd probably sum up Jesus's advice with two statements. The first one is don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're going to get a lot of harassment. You know what? God himself will give you the words to say when you need to say them. Just don't stress. Stay on target. You know? Stay on target. If you get the Star Wars illusion? Doesn't matter. The, uh, the TIE fighters are shooting at you. Stay, at t- stay on target. Stay on target. Didn't that guy get blown up? It's an imperfect analogy. But don't worry about it is what I'm saying. We'll just edit that out of the tape. Um, and number two, you know, relatedly don't get hung up on it, don't get hung up on the rejection if somebody rejects your peace, just take it and go (laughs) you know, stay stay at peace stay at peace even if you're rejected, even if you're roughed up even if you get thrown in prison just leave if they don't respond well just leave, just move on uh, because other people elsewhere will respond well you're a sheep among wolves you know, you're vulnerable, plan for it. And what do sheeps do? What do sheep do when they're surrounded by wolves? They either bunch or they run. <laughs> they stick together or they take off. And uh, we have to appreciate that. I want to focus on the second one. I want to talk about don't, not getting hung up on failure, not letting failure be intimidating or defeating when it happens. You know, there's a big difference between failure and defeat, isn't there? And Jesus keeps it simple. Later in the passage, in chapter 10, he says, Look, whoever acknowledges me before others, whoever preaches me as Lord, I will acknowledge that person before the Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before the Father in heaven. Your job is to testify to me in front of other people. And if you don't do that, then, you know, I I won't do it for you. He's just, I mean, he's so ruthless about this, isn't he? It seems so out of character for a gentle soul like Jesus Christ. To understand it, I think we need to understand the urgency of the mission. Jesus is saying, look, children are dying in the world. I really need you to help me with this. And if you don't, it's not a casual oversight. Did I mention children are dying in the world? You know, he's he's ruthless about it because it's really important. We need to make disciples, we need to do it. Um, We need to find fruit, we need to bear fruit despite the failures, despite the rejection, despite the hassles that we might get in life. So I'll say it again, one key to being an effective disciple maker is to find people who are responsive and to not spend a lot of time on people who are not. Find the responsive people. If they don't respond, shrug it off and move on. Shrug it off and move on because what you're doing is important and you need to stay with it. If you're going to be an effective disciple maker, and and, and we all must be one, you need the ability to identify and cultivate responsive people. Or as Jesus says in another teaching, good soil. He compares people to soil. Soil. Uh, in, a, in a famous parable of the sower. Do you know that one? A farmer went out to sow seed. Um, the parable of the sower, it's often called. And you know the story, right? Jesus tells the parable uh, in order to, to explain what life in the kingdom of God is like us, it's like for us. He says, Well, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out to sow a lot of seed during planting time. Uh, and uh, when Middle Eastern farmers of that age went out to sow seed, they just scattered it everywhere. They just went walking and they just started throwing seed around. There weren't none of these like, neatly uh, cultivated field rows. I mean, they didn't have big machines to do that. So they would just scatter seed everywhere, everywhere they walked. And Jesus says, well, some fell on the path and you know, that, that soil is too hard pressed. Uh, and so those seeds just kind of died. Some fell in rocky places. Uh, and uh, took root and sprouted up, but because the soil there is really shallow, uh, the sun came out, you know, and uh, as soon as there was exposure, the plants just withered and, and dried, so that's bad soil. Some seeds fell among thorns, and they sprouted up, but then the thorns, which Jesus defines as the worries of the world, just sort of choked out discipleship. But some seed fell on good soil, he says. Some seed fell on good soil, and that seed took root, and it grew up, and what did it do? It produced a crop. It produced reproduction, which is always Jesus' final measure of whether discipleship is successful. And it produced a great, tro- a great crop, you know, 30, 60-fold, uh, a very healthy crop uh, of new seeds. So we go out there, we we scatter the message. We preach to whomever, don't we? We demonstrate the kingdom of God to anyone who will pay any attention. Uh, To anyone who has need, we try to minister restoration. But only some of those people will be good soil. And we need to recognize that. And if they're not, if they're not interested, or if they're interested for a little while and then wither away, or they just flat-out reject, then we need to not waste too much time. Right? Because the world desperately needs disciples, and we can't spend all of our time investing in a bad patch of soil. Uh, so Jesus says, that's a sobering teaching at the end of the day. I like to think about finding faith in people, the sort of you know, faith that leads to follow through. Finding a worthy person, I think that's really what Jesus had in mind. Someone who responds openly and eagerly and respectfully. Um, and the thing is, you might not know while you're sowing, when you first get started, who is a worthy person and who is not, but you will eventually know by whether or not they follow through, by what happens next in their life. And Jesus is just saying, be clever about that. Clever, like a, like a snake, <laughs> is the metaphor that, that he uses. When we, when we say that, that phrase, like find a worthy person, that's not a value judgment, because all humans are inherently worthy. Value. It's a strategic judgment. And that's is where the word suitable uh, might, might be better. You know, find someone who's going to you know, respond appropriately. Um, got to be clever, got to think like, like a serpent, again, because the world needs more disciples. I need to make a lot of disciples. I need them to be powerful disciples. I'm on a critical mission. So, if you don't respond well to my efforts uh, to disciple you, to bring Jesus into your life, I, I can't spend a lot of time with you. The need is too desperate. Have to, Have to move on. Now, if you do respond, if you do respond, then maybe you can go back and help those I missed. (laughs) You can become part of the army uh, that's restoring the earth to Jesus. The Lord is is very clear on his need for me to make disciples and not to just go through the motions of it, but to actually produce fruit. So, I mean, I, I think about that a lot, and this is how I do it, basically. I honestly I always have a few people that I'm investing in who are admittedly poor soil. Um, There are always some of those people in in my life because, you know, I just, I love them so desperately or they are lifelong relationships. A lot of us have family relationships like that, do we not? These these are people that are going to be with us uh, our lifelong, uh, our whole lifelong, and, you know, we're always going to be throwing seeds at them. Uh, even if uh, they 're not all that responsive, but beyond beyond that that handful of people um, you know if if a person wants my sustained attention and just just pretend that some people might want my sustained attention I, I, it applies to none of you, but uh, then you have to be responsive and ultimately productive, ultimately, you in your turn need to be discipling people. Otherwise, I can't spend a lot of time uh, on you. So the way I think of it, the image that I have in my mind, is that uh, the ship of the world is sinking. Like we're all on this big ship, and it's sinking, it's falling apart. And if I can't recruit you effectively to help me save the other people, to get us into lifeboats and stuff like that, then I will move on and recruit others who will help me. Because, you know, if I were to spend my whole, my whole short life on you, uh, people would die who otherwise wouldn't, you know? The situation is critical. I have to move on to others. It has nothing to do with how much I love you. You know, I don't want you to die either. <laughs> um, it has everything to do with my need to produce helpers, to raise up workers for the harvest, as Jesus says in a passage of Scripture that we will examine later in this series. Um, practically uh, responsiveness uh, means two things to me as I think about it practically it's just just me testifying um, if I invest in you uh, in a discipleship manner uh, I need to see some interest in you Uh, I use those five questions a lot when I try to make disciples of people who may not even believe yet or who believe but who are not actually disciples um, and when I ask those questions, I have to see a spark, you know? It's like, actually, that's really interesting. And one of the ways I know if people are interested in what I'm trying to bring them is if they ask me questions about it. The best, uh, the best responders are question askers. And so that's a great measure of whether people are interested in what I'm trying to do. And the second way uh, I, I deduce whether people are being responsive is I, I ask myself, well, who's showing up? Who's showing up? And I mean that you know metaphorically, like who who responds to my invitations to come to this party or to go on this outing or to to spend time with me uh, at Starbucks or to come to church or whatever. Who's who's who wants to be uh, with me in the activities uh, that I'm doing? Um, I often mean showing up literally uh, as well are you you around me a lot (laughs) you know are you accepting responsibility for things Uh, 80% of life is showing up they say and uh, I think 80% of discipleship may be showing up as well It's not dragging your feet but being on the spot when you're supposed to who's interested, who's showing up there's more I could say on that but that's the first pass on who's being responsive When I try to make disciples, I try very hard to have an attitude of anointing or appointment. Jesus said, I have chosen you for a purpose, meaning I try to believe that what I do is important. I try to believe that it's desperately important. So if I'm trying to make you a disciple and you're not into it, you know, it it really is your loss. Um, And I'm not a beggar in that respect. You know, it's a desperate cause, but I don't behave like a desperate beggar. Um, Which means I have to skip past unresponsive people and not worry about it. The mission is too important. Uh, But when I do find a responsive person, when you do find a person who's interested in what you're offering, then you focus like a laser and you stay on that person like a bloodhound. Because that's what life is about right there. Responsive people. One huge key to making disciples effectively is finding responsive people. Now, there are a lot of people who, uh, who try to, uh, just, just because, you know, I'm a minister uh, by vocation, uh, they, uh, they start a relationship with me or they get into, they, they respond initially to me because I'm legally obligated to be a caring person. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional minister. Um, like a doctor, I have to render treatment. Um, and then they refuse to get better, or they refuse to respond, uh, because they think that the sickness is the basis of the relationship with me. You familiar with this sort of behavior? It's like, I, I am in crisis, therefore you have to pay attention to me. And I'm sort of offering this announcement as a service to the church. No, no, if you're in crisis, Uh, you need to be responsive, especially you. Uh, And if you're not responsive, then just the fact that you're in crisis does not really warrant a lot of attention over the long term. It warrants initial attention, initial restoration. The church will mobilize on your behalf, but ultimately discipleship is, is the measure. You following me so far? We're looking for responsiveness, in other words. We're looking for responsiveness. Always be discipling means always cultivate, identify, and value responsiveness from the people. That's why Jesus said, never said, believe in me. He always said, follow me. Will you respond or will you not respond? If you do respond, if you do follow, then um, you almost always get healing. Uh, and deliverance, and freedom from oppression along the way. You may get new troubles as you follow Jesus, but your old ones will will fall away. So maybe I should close this sermon by by saying that the, the key to being a good disciple is being a responsive person. The key to being a good disciple maker is finding responsive people, and the key to being a good disciple is being a responsive person Uh, So uh, that's a good provocative question to end on. Do you want to respond to Jesus' call to be a fellow minister in the world? Is that something that you want to respond to and to continue to respond to, to follow through on for the rest of your life, to be a fellow minister with Christ in this thing called the kingdom of God on earth? That's the call. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Follow me, and I will make you fruitful. And it's up to us to respond. Let's pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us sort this out, as you are the master farmer. Maybe uh, some of us have been held hostage by people who refuse to respond in one way, shape, or form. Maybe we need to just uh, let that relationship go. You can point out those situations this morning if you want to, Holy Spirit. What we do is important, Lord, and I pray that you would help us to see it as such. So Father, uh, maybe you need to uh, point out some folks in our life who are willing to be responsive to whom we're not paying sufficient attention. So point those people out if needs be, Lord. Speak now, Holy Spirit. And generally, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, the courage and the good sense to be disciple-makers. Give us wisdom, uh, the proper attitude toward uh, rejection and unresponsiveness. I pray, Lord, that you would give us uh, the courage to live um, according to the mission and not according to our apparent resources. We have work to do, and we're happy to be part of it, Lord. I pray that you would make us a a culture of disciples, a group of people who are willing to follow through for Jesus. We know that the harvest is plentiful. Make us good harvesters, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.